and welcome to Hey I Like, the podcast where we talk about all the things that make our little neurodivergent brains go bonkers. I am joined once again by a voice that you might recognise. Um, we have Kent back. Uh, would you like to tell us all what you are talking about today? Because I have no idea. You have <laughs> no idea. What? <gasps> I'm sitting in a hyperpul- in a hidden hyperpulse generation station in somewhere in Tirnanog to tell you uh, to go over the history of a gaming company that I thought at the beginning of this research, I thought it was gone and had been gone. But somehow, insert meme here, they've returned. Uh, <laughs> yes, so we're going to talk about the Faza Corporation, which was a gaming company and I guess is again, a gaming company, that has made things you've probably heard of, but never associated, and gone, oh, wait, they did that? Oh, wait, they yeah. did that? <laughs> yeah. They were those guys? Okay. The so, only gaming company I know is um, whoever it is who does D&D and Hasbro. So. Okay. The Faza Corporation, yes. Not to be confused with every federal aid assistance program, which I guess started using the same acronym. Uh, they were founded in like around 1980. And as most gaming companies were at that time, they were support just supporting other gaming companies. So doing like little additional side adventures for other game systems and such. Uh, they were an, it was an acronym. This is, this is where you get into your movie history. There, the the company name is an acronym for the Freedronian Aeronautics and Space Administration, which interesting. Yeah, which some people may may know from the movie Duck Soup as the Nation of Freedonia, which is I I'm embarrassed to say that after do, doing over two hundred episodes of a, a movie podcast, we didn't do duck soup <laughs> but it's supposed to be one of the best marx brothers movies because it has all four marx brothers in it oh and it's See, when you a... said marx i immediately went karl marx and was like how yeah. are they making movies <laughs> he was right but these are the comedian marx brothers and apparently it's free to watch somewhere oh. it's only like it's only like 65 minutes it's bored so i might have to go and find it then yeah but anyway, uh, ignoring that, there's the Space Administration. No, uh, FASA started uh, having a couple weird licensed games at the beginning where they actually did a game based on a James Carvo novel. Like, who does that? Who would buy that? Apparently, somebody. Because when 1982 rolls around, they actually secure. The Star Trek license. Oh. Yeah. So at the beginning of, like, this is Trek coming back and being big, and somehow they secure a role play, a general gaming license for theatrical and original series Star Trek. Interesting. See, Star so, Trek I have heard of. <laughs> yes. We have something you've heard of. Yes. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Which was kind of an interesting contradiction because already there already was a Star Trek ship combat game that actually is still going on. It still has a rights folder and is still going, but that was 
permanently tied to the original series. It can never move beyond. I mean, they kind of got in slight hot water when they were touching on the animated series. Ah. <laughs> These guys have the license that went into, Faza had the license that went into at least Star Trek Three, and any future, like at least for like another future movie, which would be end up being Star Trek Four. Right. So they start printing money. I mean, putting out uh, Star Trek related merchandise. Uh, here's your first Starship game where you could actually design ships if you wanted to. Ooh. Yeah. So that. Even though those design rules kind of sucked at times, but uh, <laughs> and go and fight, and then there was actually a full-scale role-playing game on the set that was its own thing too, that were semi could work across compatible with each other, but it was kind of a little clunky. But but what uh, isn't a little clunky sometimes? Yeah. But they had a lot of modules for it. They had a lot of source books. Uh, you could, I mean. You don't want to be on a starship? You want to be Starfleet Intelligence? Go ahead. Here's your source book for that. Go be in Starfleet Intel. You want to be non-Starfleet and actually just be... You, basically, you want to go play... Uh, oh, dang it. I forget his name now. Uh, Harry Mudd? Yeah, here's a source book for that. Go be a <laughs> traitor. That's it. Uh, so they have that license. That helps them get the Doctor Who license, uh, which, which they did role-playing game stuff for that for a while. Nice. So that got them a lot of love in the UK. Yeah, uh, they. Uh, let's see. I'm skipping ahead in my notes here. <laughs> yeah, but they. Uh, end up with a few other licenses, uh, but nothing super original quite yet. Uh, but, you know, they had the license for Star Trek, and it felt like me for forever, but I guess it was only like 82 to 89 or 90. So I guess for young me, okay, nine years, that feels like forever. Old me, that's like, that's a blink of an eye. Like, oh, fuck. yeah. Yeah. But the rumor was, there were two rumors going around. One was they lost the license because they put out a next generation source book for the game and they didn't have the license for it. They technically were, the rumor was they weren't allowed to do next generation stuff, but they put out books for it anyway. Yeah. The thing is, they put out two books for it, and you'd figure after the first book, the legal hammer would come down. But So I guess what happened was the writing staff, the powers that be at Paramount, decided they didn't like the combat-orientedness of a role-playing game. And Next Generation was not about that, because that's not what Next Generation was, and that's not what Next Generation was going to be for the next 10 years, because next because the universe is going to be all peace and sunflowers and love and hope and everything good. Dominion War! <laughs> and we never have a use for that. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. Sorry, did I cough? Did I, did I cough hard there for a second? Anyway. Uh, 
so anyway, they lose the license for that. But their name is out there. They are known. Like, they are known in the gaming stores. So, you walk into a gaming store, they've got a good... They've, people know who that company is. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to... Uh, in 84, they start... They try bringing out their first own property. Ooh, we've made our own universe. We have our own idea. And they publish Battle Droids. <laughs> which has George Lucas coming down with a hammer immediately on them. And all of a sudden, in 1985, they bring out the, almost the same game called Battletech. Which is what OSP dropped in that one podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's a... It's once again a tiny, tiny scale game, but you're using giant robots, so it doesn't look that tiny. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, this is a setting where you have... It, the core of this game is, this, is giant robots beating the crap out of each other. Oh, how are we going to justify this? We're going to create a universe where it's a... Five-way, I'm sorry, six-way, I'm sorry, 12, 15-way civil war. I don't know, the periphery confuses me. Uh, <laughs> where you have uh, a great excuse for all these robots to fight each other. Uh, so, yeah, they it, it started with just, you know, cardboard cutouts on a hex grid, hex grid thing. Now it's mostly miniatures in the uh, t that tiny six millimeter one two eighty fifth scale, but because these are giant robots, the miniatures are actually fairly big. <clears throat> I mean, you put them next to a Warhammer miniature, and they're some of them are twice the size. Oh, so you've got the detail there to work with, uh, and you don't need as many. So, uh, the original miniatures were produced by Ralph Parfa, who is still in existence, but has changed their name two or three times over the years. I don't know why, but they're still the same guys. <laughs> but at the time, they were mostly known for uh, their D&D &D miniatures line. So, and most inter and interestingly, something you don't see nowadays... Uh, if you bought a miniature back then, the name of the miniature sculptor was on the packaging. You knew exactly who did it. And yeah. that's kind of weird today. It's like, oh, this is done by this company. Yeah, but who's the individual person? And you could kind of see, like, little, you could almost kind of feel, oh yeah, this guy sculpted this, and this guy sculpted this. So, so anyway, Battletech hits and is ends up becoming a huge hit. Uh, it has its own role-playing game to support it. has a fairly large number of novels come out. Uh, which is actually the start of an author I don't know if you've heard of name probably I don't know somebody on this has heard of him uh named Michael Stackpool 
who, <laughs> who goes on to write the X-Wing series for Star Wars. Ah, uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> so he writes all those books eventually because of... And this was kind of his start. Uh, so... So you see how all this leads to other places very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a big web. <laughs> yes. So anyway, uh, yeah, we were talking about the universe of Battletech. It was mostly you had this golden age where you had one star empire ruling all of humanity. Because this is a humans only club. We don't have aliens in this science fiction role playing setting. <laughs> Everybody's human. Uh but it's a fairly large, detailed star map that they... I mean, I've got one that they... Got one of the maps beside me of, like, all of known space, basically. And it is dense where they name every star and, like, where the borders are. And it's like, there's a lot of planets inhabited in yeah. this thing. So... But you basically have a stereotypical five major, well, okay, the the perfect star, the Star League collapses, there's a big war, the main army for the Star League sees that everything's about ready to go to hell, so they leave. Instead of trying to have a coup to try and take over, they just say, yeah, okay, all you regional powers uh deal with this yourselves and just take off that becomes important in like 200 years later <laughs> uh so you end up with a five-way major civil war breaks out because you can't ever make things easy yeah the last fit well before the war breaks out the last thing these the five heads of house for the major powers agreed to was Okay, the communi Interstellar Communications Network got screwed during the war. We're appointing this one guy to fix it. Whatever he says is fine. We're going to do whatever he says. We're, he's absolutely neutral. As long as he agrees to neutrality for all of us, we won't fuck with him. So they agree to that, and then they immediately fall into 200 years of civil war. Uh, so you have your stereotypical powers going on. You have the Germans. Of course. <laughs> in House Steiner. Uh, you have the <laughs> Japanese, you have the Samurai Japanese Empire in House Kureda. You have, have the British in House you know, I've seen 15 billion ways to pronounce this. How can you have 15 billion ways to pronounce a British English word and yeah, yeah. It's either Davian or Davian. We always pronounce it Davian with the light A, but it's like, no, it's Davian. It's like, spell it for me. <laughs> D A V I O N. Da Davian, like Damien, but with a that's V. What, that's what I would say, unless they're trying to Frenchify it. Yeah, they're trying to make it French, which is an but abomination because the but, UK hates the French. <laughs> but they're trying to say this place is set up more like British. Uh, you have the Southeast Asian stereotypes. In Lyle, L-I-A-O, yeah. And then you have the, I don't know what the hell they were trying to be. They're like a con... It, it's like the U.S. if the U.S. wasn't competent and as united. <laughs> it was more like a Was the U.S. competent? <laughs> it was more like a confederacy, but 
more yeah we agree to what that guy says as long as it works for us and works for our corporate benefactors and works for oh yeah we gotta make sure nobody invades us <laughs> in house merrick but also you have like thousands of mercenary groups running around this sounds like this sounds like what what's it called the um the it has a name this trope i want to say it's land of oh, hats but it's not it sort of is planet of the hats but it, it kind of is but you know in in the southeast asians house Lyle territory they actually had the saint ives compact which was a scottish region that just happened to be part of them for some reason Saint Ives. And they Saint up... Ives isn't Scottish. What is it then? Because they kind of imply that they're a Scottish thing. Okay, so there's like multiple Saint Ives. There's one in Cornwall. Right. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> like, is there's multiple it's Saint Ives. <laughs> but they have end up breaking there's, off during one the Cornwall, wars. One in Cambridgeshire. Neither of them is anywhere near Scotland. Anyway, the St. Ives Compact ends up breaking off and being their own thing at one point. Uh, <laughs> but then, oh, yeah. No. But then, remember that one guy who's in charge of all of telecommunications? He ends up, like, uniting everything, hiring his own mercenaries, and then hiding all of his military assets for a couple hundred years. And basically becoming almost a technology cult. Interesting. And they are in charge of all communications. They read your email because they are oh, the yeah. only ones to, they're the only ones in charge of everything. Which, <laughs> Comstar reminds you to pay your phone bill. <laughs> Oh yes, just like home. They if read one of emails, they tell you to pay bills that you would definitely remember to pay otherwise. Do they read your text messages as well? They are basically it. I mean, they are like, we have kept the peace, we have attempt ended other war, they, their claim to fame is, we have ended other wars by just preventing messages from going out. Like, oh crap. <laughs> But uh, yeah, they're like, oh, this this major power uh, pissed us off. Um, no communication between any planets for like as long as we until you apologize. Yeah. Which if you're trying to hold a small empire together of like a couple hundred planets. And you can't talk to each other. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, they yeah they uh, that's with their network of hyperpulse generator stations, which is the joke I made at the beginning of the hidden HPG station. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but then uh, in the setting, remember that uh, whole uh, old Star League military? They come back, except that they're hey. except that they've reformed themselves into a weird cultish society of themselves where they have nothing in common with the people that they left a couple hundred years ago 
and they've technologically advanced while the people they left behind declined. Like it's all a mess there. Yep. And that and that little storyline ends with the telecommunications company deciding, you know what? We suddenly discovered that your entire thing is whoever gets to and conquers Earth first is like in charge forever. And we own Earth. And we don't we like owning Earth. And that's like the neutral ground, so we're gonna fight you. And the 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 clans as the returning armies are called go. Like, really? You're gonna fight us? You and what army? And they kind of snap their fingers and suddenly like a hundred army battle groups show up. And it's like, this is what we've been accumulating and hid. This is our religious cult. And they just kind of stare like everybody's staring at them like how do you have more of an army than a lot of people <laughs> than almost some of the major powers? It's like, well, wait a second. You also have actual warships because actual warships don't exist in this setting because originally they were overused and used to nuke planets and everybody decided no, we're not going to do that anymore. Ah, uh, yes. Somehow... The, uh, the, the nuclear pact. Yeah. Mutually assured destruction. Yeah, <laughs> and everybody else that had them ended up destroying them, fighting each other. Yep. And yet Attempting they have some. <laughs> they, they have, the telecommunications company has a stronger military than a lot of people knew. <laughs> and they, like... Okay, so the clans sit back, and they're like, well, these guys don't have any battle expertise. They know nothing. We have expertise. We should be able to steamroll them. Yeah. They get their asses handed to them. Oh, of course they do. Mostly because half of it was uh, they find out that the guy who was running the telecommunications company's military... Uh, he got out, he almost did a coup over in House Steiner, like, a few decades earlier. And was a very smart military leader for them. And the only reason he didn't do the coup was he ended up getting captured by House Kurita during the fight. <laughs> and Kurita handed him, like, brainwashed him and handed him over to Comstar as a gift for aid during, for reasons so this military mastermind ran the fight and the clans were staring going these are incompetents and they, they got destroyed at almost like three clans got wiped out literally okay. like you don't have an armed forces anymore <laughs> you have your second and third tier garrison forces your front line is gone uh, the running gag that I've, the gag on one video I heard was, the guy did a two-hour history of this, and because the guy's name was, like, was whacked, he did a two-hour joke just to say, whacked around and found out. <laughs> like, how can you do that? So, yeah. Anyway, that's some in-universe for this. 
because it is still a popular setting. Yeah. Uh, but one of the interesting things that happened during this, a couple of interesting things during this time, uh, we played this in high school a lot, and it got banned in high school because it was Satanism! Because <laughs> it looks like D&D. But uh, their original designs for some of the giant robots beating each other up, battle mech, the, ba the battle mech designs, they bear a striking resemblance, because they are, to uh, stuff from the anime series Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. Which I know you've heard of. You had to have heard of Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. Which in the US got cut up and redone into Robotech. Somebody has to... Oh, come on. Some of this has to be sound familiar. Well, long story short, there were some rights issues... And by long story short here, I mean, this is, if a legal discussion of this, there was a legal fight between Harmony Gold, which did Robotech, and Faza. A full details of this would be a Sarah Z level video in and of itself. Wow, okay. Let's, yeah, just on the legal that. part. We're not, we're not going to start with that because it started in 85, went to a full lawsuit in 95, and didn't fully resolve, quote-unquote, till 2003. That's a legal fight. Because everybody thought they had the exclusive rights to how certain things looked. Yeah. Yeah. This so is, uh, That sounds... Familiar, not in that I've heard of either of those companies before, but in that oh, really? yeah. kind of uh, custody battle over your yeah. intellectual property <laughs> happens uh, all the time. So, Battletech's running hot. They get licenses for... Uh, I, I only remember some of this based on catalogs I used to look at, but, well, and also looking at online and stuff. They had a license for the last Starfighter, Top Gun. Like, what? You had a Top Gun license? Uh, Battlestar Galactica. And they had a Masters of the Universe RPG board game thing, which looks really interesting, and I kind of wish I could find that somewhere, because it looked like a interesting dungeon crawl thing, where you went under Skeletor's castle and you beat stuff up. But, uh, and this is at the same time they did a, tried to do, they tried another sci-fi setting that they made up called the Renegade Legion universe, uh, which was a more far future thing, and it didn't have giant mechs, it just had tanks beating each other up, ships beating each other up, and was, had this weird, it had this weird Roman-esque thing, where it was the Roman Empire in space. But not really, but yes. Okay. Uh, but I think this uh, gives an important lessons, lesson here. Uh, don't create an IP that directly competes with one you've already got. You have a working sci-fi <laughs> setting. Deal with, that's a giant robot civil war. Don't have another civil war that's spaceship tank based just because you want to try out some interesting new game mechanics. Uh, which actually, I have all the box sets for that game. 
that I've just kind of accumulated over the years. Uh, and weird thing is, I think their most popular game in this series had very little to do with the main line, but it was a chariot racing game. And Interesting. It's, it's it is uh it's a it is literally designed with cardboard cutouts and everything to make a Roman style chariot setup. With horses? No. Giant oh, giant alien <laughs> giant alien beasts that are described as a mouth, a stomach, and an anus. And legs. Yeah, and I was gonna they, say they meant to pull the chariot right now. Like yeah, it's more fun when the thing pulling the chariot, the hover chariot, because it doesn't have wheels, uh, when the thing pulling that can eat anybody you knock out of the chariot. So, and they tend to go berserk and ignore what the driver wants and just zoom right into a wall and kill themselves or take damage. Yeah, uh, it was actually very popular at the gaming conventions here. So, but... Now we're going to move on to something you had to have heard of. Okay. Because it's, it's the distant past of 1989. And gaming is about to change forever. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, up to this point, we've had pure sci-fi settings. Yeah, we haven't done fantasy. We're about to, like, inject fantasy into our sci-fi here. Okay. Uh, let's say, have you heard of a thing we like to call Shadowrun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes! You I have heard of Shadowrun. <laughs> yes! <One time. laughs> oh, you, oh, oh, that sounds like a bad experience for only one time. Well, no, it's just that, um, it wasn't that bad, but it's just like my friend who is DMing is the friend who we now no longer allow to DM and we are no longer friends with. So. <laughs> oh, one of those. Okay. Yeah. One of those people. Yeah. No longer friends with him for a completely different reason than true, the reason why true. he's no longer allowed to DM any D&D related campaigns. So. So you will understand some of the world of Shadowrun. It is, yeah, it's the, that's the techie one where it's really like dark and gritty and uh, steampunky. Right? You say grimdark? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it's Everyone seven... sucks, basically. <laughs> yes, because in the distant twin, well, I want to say the first campaigns were supposed to be in the 2050s. That's not that distant future. <laughs> yeah, because the premise of the the shadow the original Shadowrun's uh, premise was okay. Remember, it comes out in 1989. The premise was in the distant future of 2012. <laughs> That's not uh, the distant future of 1989. <laughs> The uh, when the Mayan long count calendar ends. Oh yes, that thing. That thing, because the the premise was that the Mayan long count calendar was counting down the present, the return of magic into the world. Yeah. 
And that was the key is that it turns out magic operates on a kind of a sine wave cycle where it will go for thousands of years with with being in the you know, in in the world and then it goes away for a couple thousand years and then it comes back. And on that day in 2012, it came back all of a sudden. And magic re-enters the world. Uh, people start morphing into the mystical creatures of old. So, like, one of the stories in the Shadowrun book is about a retired cop talking about how everything has gone, everything had gone crazy, and you didn't know if your partner was going to turn into an orc at any moment. Because that's a thing that happened. <laughs> it was... yeah. Painful transformations into other species, basically, of orcs, elves, trolls, and dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. Shamans could find that their their magical powers were fully real and fully immediate. Uh, nations collapsed. Ireland reunites as the <laughs> elven nation <laughs> as, as the elven nation of Tirnanag. Which is like, we are elves, period. If you're not elves, you're a second class citizen. I forgot Ameri about that. <laughs> America collapses into the Confederacy, the United Canadian and American States, which is just east of the Mississippi, except for Seattle. Uh, an elven nation of Tirnanag and the Native American nations are the West. Like, oh, all these Apaches got their land back, and boy, are they pissed. Yeah. yeah. You have, I mean, the center point for the adventures was supposed to be Seattle. Most stuff was supposed to take place there, which I still don't politically understand why it's still, use, why it's still United Canadian and American States, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have Mega corporations owning about everything. And some of those mega corporations are owned by dragons. Ooh, dun, dun, Drag dun. Actual dragons owning corporations. So, uh, main point of the game is you play basically criminal hired mercenary types who work for doing stuff for companies off the books so they can't be traced back to. Uh, yeah. Mr. Johnson hired you to do this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that was like basically what our one-shot yeah. campaign was all about, was you've been hired to do this thing, and then we like... Oh, yeah, I, I know why it was only one session. I remember now. It's oh. because um, we started it and it was meant to be more than one session, but then within half an hour, um, I almost single-handedly beat the big bad. So there was no one for us to fight. There was no more plot. We were done. It was an accident, if it helps. <laughs> um, oh, so it's just a one shot and we ended it there and we never did it again. Well, you have your basic character types of the street samurai, which is your fighter. Riggers who operate vehicles and 
you know, operating drones before the modern drone was a thing is kind of a uh, Deckers who infiltrate the Matrix. They're your hackers. Because, you know, this, they had the Matrix before the Matrix was the thing. Yeah. I mean, you plugged in, you jack into the Matrix. You basically plug, you, you attach a cord to your skull, and all of a sudden, you're in the virtual reality of computer-generated 1989 <laughs> shapes <laughs> that, you know, look really bad today and looked bad then but but that was that was your hacking skill yeah uh, and and your mages you have mages who could toss spells around i think that so, was me and i still somehow managed to kill the impossible big uh big bad in uh a good lucky under, die roll uh, huh? a good lucky good lucky it, dice roll I think and I just got a, a really good yeah. Um, I can't even remember what I did. Um, it involved jumping through a window. Yes. <laughs> and... I remember almost nothing about it. I just remember that we somehow managed to beat the, the big bad and end the game in the first hour. Um, and my friend who was the DM was really annoyed about it. <laughs> It would take us an hour just to get across town. I mean, we would argue shit. Well, we stumbled but... across um, some of the, like, henchmen, I guess? Yeah. And um, I mean, that should slow you down somewhat. Dealt with that, and then hung around to see what would happen, and the big bad showed up, and we didn't know it was the big bad. <laughs> So uh, we can, let's kill that guy too. <laughs> so and we did. <laughs> so yeah, this is a fantasy cyberpunk world that is kind of almost too close to ours because you know, even though they have better cybernetics, uh, <laughs> cybernetics really were a thing. Uh, uses the this uses the bucket of D6s system where I swear this is why they sell bricks of 36 six-sided dice was this game. Yeah. Oh. Oh. But, See, uh, I do not and never have had my own dice. So ooh, whenever we play D&D, I had to borrow dice off my friend. To be fair, I don't play very often. Somebody um, send send Jess money to buy her own dice, or somebody send her her own dice. dice. Send them, send them to me. Um, but yeah, I had to borrow. Dice? Okay, we think I had to borrow friends' dice. So then that time we played Shadowrun, and you needed like fifty million d sixes. Sixes, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have to have all of your dice. <laughs> Um, and then I had to give them back after every turn because the DM needed to roll like initiative and damage for the yeah. NPCs and stuff. And it was like we're just passing the same like bag of dice at the table because nobody had enough dice. It was terrible. It used a lot of six sided. So uh, yeah, uh, if you want absolute cheese factor, go on to YouTube. Look for. Shadowrun, A Night's Work, 
which is a mini movie from 1990 of actual actors walking around and they do a mission. <laughs> and it lasts for like five minutes, five or six minutes. And it is cheese factor. I mean, at least they don't special effect the mage's spell. Uh, mage casts a spell and it just, you know, it just happens. Like she casts sleep on someone and they just fall over. And it's like, yeah, that's. It looks cheesy, but it's like accurate to the fact that there's no effects going on. Yeah. So. Except the wardrobe, the wardrobe is for is. The hype of 80s thinking what the future would look like. <laughs> better uh, <laughs> oh, oh god yes uh and the comments are in, the comment section of that video is interesting because one of the actors actually talks has some comments about it oh so and actually they they're like yeah this was a job blah, blah, blah. we did this it's actually kind of more positive and it's also no so-and-so did not something bad did not happen to so-and-so later they they're fine, <laughs> yeah, like because you know how rumors are on these things. So, now of note for first edition Shadowrun and for a lot of how the art of future Shadowrun would go for the books, original first edition art of how characters would look like when they have the character generation, the archetypes page pages that was done. By Alex Ross. Oh. Yeah. So, which many comic book people are now going, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah, that was Alex Ross's first commercial work was for Faza. And now he, like, makes tons of money doing photorealistic paintings of superheroes. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he lives in Chicago. Faza was based in Chicago, uh, Chicago, Illinois, United States of America, yeah. uh, United Canadian and America. I mean, United States. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say also during this time, one of the things that kind of got me weird, weirdly, was in Shadowrun's history. You know, there's always going to be various racist groups well in their background there is a terrorist racist organization that is against anything that isn't human oh like, wonderful yeah so like think well think the kkk except swap out we don't like black people oh wait a minute we accept black people now it's the elves the orcs the dwarves the trolls screw them it's a human society without some kind of racism <laughs> yeah well in that background they destroyed the sears tower in a terrorist act you know the tallest building in a major city when was this made <laughs> yeah this is like <laughs> 1990, I think, or 91 is the Chicago source book, which discusses this. And it's like, okay. 
Did we know something? <laughs> well, that the, the morning of 9-11, I saw a vague, I wasn't awake for like, I like stayed up really late and then woke up early and was like stumbling around and saw some reference and went, don't you mean Chicago and Shadowrun? It's like, and then eventually it like hit. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. What? Like, but yeah, that's kind of a weird thing going on. So honestly, like the most wild what 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 I was doing on the day of 9-11 story I have like ever heard. Oh uh, <laughs> Chicago in Shadow Rock? <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, yeah so with all sorts of stuff happens in this universe. Um dragons are either they're either classic I am I hate you all kind of I'm a dragon I'm powerful or they're egotistical maniacs that you know show up okay this is the tale of Dunkle Zod. he shows up spreads his wings and bellows now taking bids for the rights to interview me consider that like <laughs> if a dragon showed up and said Hey, I'll give an exclusive interview to whoever bids the highest. How wonderful. That's an instant billionaire, because what news organization isn't going to figure out a way to give him all the money they could possibly get? I think you you might be overestimating how much money news companies have, unless something is very, very different in the States. Yeah. Like, the well, BBC here, yes. just like complaining that they're broke. <laughs> Channel well, 4 has been cutting everything because they can't afford it. I I could see CNN and Fox being an ape. <laughs> instant, instant gazillionaire who eventually starts his own talk show. Because why not? You know, this is before podcasts. Who'd have a podcast when you can have a talk show? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then runs for president and wins the presidency of the United Canadian and American States. Because everybody who is a citizen of one of the two, and he's a Canadian citizen, got naturalized so they could run for office if they wanted to. And he became president for 10 hours before he was assassinated. Which, of course, Ooh. brings up the concept of what can take out a dragon? And what is, like, what the hell does that mean? Because the FBI, sh the FBI shamans who investigated the murder scene either died or went insane. Okay. From something in the astral plane at the point where he was killed. Interesting. Yeah. Something definitely didn't want. But if you look at the old source books for Shadowrun at this time, like there was a catalog for Street Samurais that was all their gear. There was a military hardware catalog. Well, all this stuff has commentary after the, after the war items that is either written by Dunkozan, uh, an elf named Harquin, 
or like all sorts of other characters in this world. And some of them are like just slams on each other. <laughs> so for a time, like any of these people could be considered suspects or it could be one of the mega corporations, like the ones that are being uh, apparently run by uh, the old Aztec gods that like their human sacrifices. <laughs> and didn't like the fact that a dragon was now in charge of, you know, a whole nation that didn't like those evil creatures from beyond. <laughs> and maybe we're going to start setting up the military to be able to fight those things. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Because <laughs> it's one thing to have problems in your own realm. But it's another thing that spirits might be coming across from other dimensions to like possess people or even invade or just torture. <laughs> which brings up 1993's Earth Dawn, which is actually their first pure fantasy setting. It's a fantasy role playing game. We got there eventually. Yeah. Uh, which is taking place at the dawn of human civilization, but it can't be the dawn because, you know, everybody's coming out of what amounts to magical fallout shelters. Because what happened was there was one big empire. Uh, stuff came across, came into the world that, like, these creatures called horrors came into the world and were able to just torture people and did it for fun and sustenance. They fed off of pain and suffering. This empire figured out that things were going to get worse before they got better and built fallout shelters, basically shelters everywhere that were magically protected and could be self-sustaining ecosystems. Kind of, kind of like the Fallout franchise. <laughs> but, but magical. Uh, and everybody just went underground. And then this is the, okay, things are safe a couple centuries later. Everybody come out. And we rediscover the lost world. We discover the lost, the lost cities and the lost blah, blah, blah. But these creatures are still out there. They're not as strong, but they're still out there. And you still have this, this empire wasn't the best of people to start with. They treated everyone that wasn't them as the people that needed to serve them and everybody was slaves to them. They mostly set up these shelters because they realized if our slaves are dead, what's the point? We got to help everyone. do tend to behave like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, um, yeah, weirdly, you know, when I talked about magical sine waves before, this is the same world as Shadowrun. Yeah. This is the start of what, the implication was this was the start of the Greek heroic age. And the Empire of Pharaoh, the implication was that was Atlantis. Even though I will say 
after a lot of listening to OSP and their Troy series, this could have been Troy. Yeah. Troy being a bunch of assholes and everybody eventually gangs up on him and destroys them. Except yeah. now with except with elves and trolls and dwarves and orcs and <laughs> those guys all ganged up on him. The epic hero so-and-so was actually a lizard man. Because that's something that happened in this was around. Uh and it was much higher fantasy than uh, Shadowrun was. But, you know, Shadowrun is the magic is returning to the world. This is, magic was at its height. It's coming down now. So it's safe. Because things aren't crazy. And, you know, there's some characters like this guy named Harlequin, who's trying to help the... <laughs> People get set up again. Where have we heard that name before? Five minutes ago when he was slamming on Dunkozan, who has a German name that sounds like this other dragon that's <laughs> running around in Earth Dawn. <laughs> Who's very... Yeah, because really strong horrors could kill dragons without a problem. Yeah, there was a, there was a nasty horror whose thing was wasn't necessarily torturing humans; it was killing and torturing dragons. Lovely. And a lot of dragons had like, you know how dragons hoard stuff and don't want to give it away. There were dragons that had bounties, saying we'll give a bunch of our gold, our gold and silver, and whoever kills that, you kill that. We're happy. That's kind of a scary thing. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this used a completely different di dice system too, which is very confusing. This is one where you need entire sets of dice, not one set of dice. You need multiple sets. Oh, because lovely. And there were times where what you had your skill and then you had your abilities and it would say, okay, that brings you to this thing we call a step. And the step is what you roll. So, oh, this thing just did step 50 damage. And I took a quote straight from the step chart here. Uh, at step 50, it was, okay, can you roll 2d20, 3d10, and 2d8? That's your die roll at that point. And it's like, huh? So you need all the dice for this. Yeah. So, uh, and you know that we played that for a while. I played that with two different groups for a while. <laughs> and it was just, it was fan. I mean, it was the fantasy itch. I think. It felt like that game was more popular than D&D at the time. Yeah. And that was hitting during... I don't want to say third, but maybe it was. I'd have to look up to see when third edition was out. Well, maybe it was just when AD&D second edition was just being kind of stale and nobody really knew what the hell was going on with D&D. So... Uh, that game comes out. Uh, their next product, big product, is until 98, which is 
Crimson Skies, and here's the background for that game. And you're going to look at me again and go, wait a second! (laughs) (laughs) Because in a world where in 1918 the Spanish flu led to the collapse of every government... Yeah, um, flying airplane mercenary squadrons are what is the big thing in the former United States of America. What so the have, frick? <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of think of high adventure 1930s air flight things. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen or watched the trailer for there was a movie called Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, which was very much this Zeppelins and there's kind of a troper setting that's Zeppelins and aircraft, which is like everything takes place where people jump into airplanes and fly around in biplanes mostly and fly around and they do wacky air stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of this genre. And it let them do produce miniatures and setting of just these wacky, I want to say Art Deco airplanes, but it's, it's, it's a real, you could just look at some of the plane designs and go, that's very 1930s. That yeah. is like, it's pre-World War II. It's what the 20s fault the 30s would look like. And it, you know, I, I knew a couple people that were really deep into it, but like, I didn't quite get it. But then 1998 is also, you know, that's okay. I'm going to start. I may end up accidentally crying here, but that's about the time I meet my wife. And yeah. Oh, yeah. 97, we start dating, and all of a sudden, I'm not focusing on miniatures because, uh, yeah. <laughs> Aww. Other stuff's going on. Yeah. That's well, so cute. No, I miss her. Anyway, let's get back anyway. to this. Yeah. Uh, that ends up the 90s, and you'd think that, you know, you've got at least. Two games going super strong, Battletech's still going strong, Shadowrun's still going strong, Earthdawn's kind of strongish there, and you have this new thing. Uh, their licenses for video games are going good. I mean, Battletech Mech Warrior on PC is big. Yeah. I mean, that is first-person mechs blowing stuff up or top-down tactical stuff going on. Uh, Shadowrun was on the Super Nintendo and I guess still has a fan following today where people are like, oh yeah, I need I get that out once in a while. And it's like, really? On the Super Nintendo? <laughs> uh, Faza had their own video game subdivision and Microsoft bought them. Mostly to make MechWarrior and a Crimson Skies video game exclusive to the original Xbox. So, and Battletech was actually more popular. Okay, they 
there are charts in the U.S. that show sales of uh, what the most popular sales figures are for product lines in gaming. Yeah. Uh, mostly it's in a, it's mostly a game. The magazine I know that does it is mostly for, okay, here in the U.S. you have previews. And that is a magazine that tells you what comic books are coming out so you can pre-order yeah. through through the one comic book distributor, but they're not a monopoly, no. Uh, they also do a trade publication that lists what games are coming out. And as a customer, you can actually acquire that one too and see what games are coming. But it has sections in there that are very retail oriented that lists what the popular, what product lines are selling. So basically if you're a retailer you just pick it up and go oh this is selling really well right now okay we should probably look into ordering more of that Tech was eating warhammer's sales figures i <laughs> it was the it was one or two well frequently was number one i can't really think of too many miniature games able to beat it during that time uh okay there was a Battletech cartoon. Um, okay. You can go on YouTube, look it up. It is Cheese Factor 9. Uh, it is, it is Sabine, uh, Saban, which did Power Rangers. It is a, it is weirdly this dense ADHD dialogue <laughs> that like, I'm glad I understand already half of what they're talking about because I have the how did this go even ten episodes because they don't pause to really explain a lot of stuff. They just yeah. full tilt like oh my god this is designed for kit to like don't walk away from this. Uh, <laughs> I mean to be fair sometimes sort of. Just jumping yeah. straight in and not explaining anything and just rolling with it. Sometimes that works. Yeah. Sometimes it really doesn't. <laughs> then you have the argument, was this cartoon canon? No, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not canon, but it's like, but this is Steiner. This whole cartoon series is Steiner propaganda in universe. They produced it for kids in the, <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, yeah. No. Uh, but suddenly, in like two thousand and one, Faza just ceases to exist. Oh, like they're making money. That everything's popular. Uh, people can handle the fact that they have misprints on page one. Uh, <laughs> that was the joke. How far? How far can you get into a new Faza product until you find the first error? <laughs> And some people are like the table of contents because it says such and such, such, such is on page twenty and it's on page twenty-three. Oh, <laughs> like, no. oh yeah. Uh the official line was the creators wanted to pursue other things. Like, okay. But one of the founders had a new company called WizKids that had the Mage Knight game, which was extremely popular for like really short period of time but it was collectible plastic pre-painted 
miniatures. And they got the rights for Battletech and Crimson Skies to do it in a similar way, but it was a different scale for the miniatures. And that left some bad taste in people's mouths, but they also got the Shadowrun rights and they just produced Shadowrun as is. And it was just weird. And I have a note here. This is where, where the IPs give me a headache. Because it looks like Microsoft still maybe owns Crimson Skies. Uh, Battletech and Shadowrun got, are licensed and published by a company called FanPro and Catalyst for Gaming for Publishing, but they're owned by WizKids, which got bought out by Tops, which it was a sports trading card company, which kind of folded, but then got saved and bought by... It's Pen the same company that made Top Trumps. Uh, I don't think they're the same guys who did Top Trumps. Okay. But they <laughs> have all these game company names, and I'm like, I have no idea who <laughs> these top, people are. Tops is known for sports cards. Ah. Like, you go into store and go, Oh, yes, I would like to find my American football trading cards and my baseball Match trading tax. cards. <laughs> they got bought, Tops got bought out by Panini. Like the sandwich? Uh, no, they do. Well, they're an Italian company based company that does sports cards mostly in Europe. So I guess all the football league cards. Yeah, yeah, cards are, <laughs> yeah, those are Panini. Okay, then. You learn something so, new every day. So indirectly, Battletech is more closely related to the English football leagues than we care to say. <laughs> Can't admit, but... And Earth Dawn is now owned by a new Faza that I just found out about during research for this. Oh. And they're the only thing that is old school that they own. Because they have a few of their own things that, like, confused me looking at. But it's like, Earth Dawn, I know you. Okay. <laughs> so, yes. Because somehow, Fasa has returned. <laughs> I think it was a group of fans decided to get the name, and then they got one of the original creators on the board of directors for the company. Sure. So they could have some legitimacy, and then they got that one, and then they were making new games. But the other stuff has legacies that are going. Uh, in the States, you can walk into Barnes & Noble and Target and buy Battletech product right off the shelf. Uh, Target just has the uh, has a new starter set. Barnes & Noble has a couple different sets and some exclusive miniatures for them. Which is like a bookstore with exclusive miniatures? What? Interesting. But yeah, uh, recently there was a Kickstarter Catalyst did a Kickstarter for the next Battletech expansion that they were going to publish. Uh, their goal was $50,000 US. So 
to uh, get this published. Can you guess how much they finally cleared with the Kickstarter? I could not even begin to guess. <laughs> Throw a random number out there. Um, is it a big number or a small number? It's going to be big. Uh, a couple of million? 7.5 million on Kickstarter to do an expansion to Battletech. Yikes! <laughs> Proving that it is popular, even if their website to buy stuff on kind of sucks. I can't find anything on there. <laughs> And I forgot to get a plushie. I was in that Kickstarter and apparently they offered plushies and I didn't see it on mine. Didn't pick up a plushie and I wanted a plushie archer, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my plushie battle mech. Anyway. I mean, these are big plushies too. Apparently they are 10 inches. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. I want to cuddle up with a, I want to cuddle with a battle mech. Anyway. Aww. Yes, I could get an urban mech, but urban mechs are their own meme. <laughs> which I encourage you to look up and go, what the <laughs> It's this idea of taking, I mean, they have a blow-up life-size urban mech that they take to cons, which you can look up pictures for this thing. And it is huge, but it's like, the urban mech is like the worst design ever. It is the worst robot fighting thing in history. It's now the mascot. <laughs> we don't know how or why. Nobody can explain it. It's cute. It uh, but uh, yeah, I'm getting back in the battle tech. I'm trying the Wednesday on Wednesday nights. There's a group that gets together at a store. I've been highly tempted to try and do a rewrite on the Star Trek rules. Because they're a little clunky by modern standards. But getting that together and rewriting those to maybe be a friendlier... Because here's the weird thing. Somebody told me... Okay, I have had one person tell me where well, the rules for the Star Trek combat simulator are copyrighted and they are held by somebody. But then somebody else stated, no, rules mechanics are not copyrighted. Or they, that's that, or it's a very recent thing where you can rewrite rules and just say they're based on these other rules that are, you know, nobody knows who owns the rights to them. So rewrite those, redo the Star Trek strips, and go, here's my, here's a nondescript um, Starship combat simulator. Oh, here's randomly these ships from uh, this franchise that we like to call Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> which I know people did that for. People did that for like the Expanse. There was a set of rules out there that was realistic, and somebody put out an Expanse thing, and the holders for that said, "As long as nobody's making money, nothing we can do." So, and we don't mind. We don't care. So, <laughs> that's typically how law works in the U.S. But, uh, 
and yeah, listening to those OSP Trojan War things as me going, Earth Dawn, Earth Dawn, Trojan War. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So yeah, I'm sitting on this stuff, and uh, that's about a weird history of the products and the dreams of a company. So, uh, we could, uh, if anybody wants to do Star Trek RPG gaming history deep dive, that could be its own thing later on, but. Okay, so are we going to do outros? Yep, okay. go for it. Okay, this this is Kent talking to you from Dunkelzon's secret care on the moon of Nottingham. It's Nottingham because no. it's in the Sherwood <laughs> system of the Federated Commonwealth. And it was settled by, wait a minute, the English. Damn it, it would be Nottingham, would it? <laughs> Who names these star systems anyway? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I have three star, three towns within a mile, hour of me that are on the Battletech map. Uh, because, yeah, they had, yeah. Anyway, this has been Kent. Or a wild Psyduck, as shown in the YouTube version of this. <laughs> I'm trying to think if we have any updates for people before we go and other than the Patreon going out, I don't think we do Okay So yeah, so so people listening by the time this episode goes up our Patreon will have been launched up and running for three weeks-ish Close enough, three, four weeks. Um, so if you are interested in that, the link will be somewhere. Uh, show notes probably, um, or yeah, elsewhere around. There is definitely a Tumblr post with the link. Yeah. Um, because that went up while I was asleep. We have three tiers. They start at one pound per month. <laughs> Which, um, depending on how how I get paid, would actually result in us losing money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we start at the low low price of one pound per month, and the most expensive tier is only five pounds a month. So, uh, very good value for money. Um, support your broke student podcast creators, um, and give us a couple of quid, basically. Uh, for all the good stuff, um, I know me and me and Lou are working on putting some stuff together for yeah. um, people who have paid for the tier that gets bonus content. Um, yeah. Other than that, I think we will have Shakespeare-related shenanigans going on in the summer, which will be fun. So. Those are our updates for you guys. Patreon is launched. Go check that out. Shakespeare will be happening in the summer, so if you're into Shakespeare, watch this space. Um, that'll be fun. I guess it's time to say goodbye. Time for us to say goodbye. Until the next <laughs> time I come up with a weird topic. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Yeah. It is time for us to say goodbye. So, Kent, say goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.
Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end, congrats. You're officially much stronger than half of our friends. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, please subscribe so you get notified when we update or sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hey underscore I underscore like. We have a direct line to us, the creators. You can also follow us on Tumblr at hey I like, which is all lowercase. That's all for now. See you next time on Hey I Like.